Welcome to a very special episode of our podcast series for financial advisors, how these three firms carved a new path and are changing the wealth management world at large. It's a conversation with Cheryl Penny of Dynasty Financial Partners, Jim Dixon of Sanctuary Wealth, and Rich Steinmeier of LPL Financial. I'm Mindy Diamond, and this is Mindy Diamond on Independence. This podcast is available on our website, diamond-consultants.com and on advisorhub.com, as well as Apple Podcasts and other major podcast platforms. If you are not already a subscriber and want to be notified of new show releases, please subscribe right on your favorite podcast platform or on the episode page on our website. And if you find the content in this series to be useful and know others who could benefit from it, please feel free to share it widely. It's hard to believe how quickly time flies. And the pandemic has interrupted so much of our lives, upsetting the patterns that once drove us from day to day. Yet life is going on, and so is the business of wealth management. As such, I just couldn't let an incredible milestone go by without acknowledging it and letting you, our loyal listeners, know how incredibly grateful we are for your continued support and engagement. Last week, this series, Mindy Diamond on Independence, surpassed 100,000 downloads. What does that really mean? Let me explain. What began as a whim in November of 2017, the intention of doing maybe five or six episodes to answer the most frequently asked questions about independence turned into a passion project for me. But even more important, It became many advisors' go-to resource for education about the industry as a whole. So much so that we found ourselves driven by our listeners' growing enthusiasm, completing more than two dozen shows in the first year, and garnering some 20,000 downloads. By year two, we nearly doubled the downloads with another two dozen episodes. And here we are, months away from our three-year anniversary and on pace to more than double the amount of content our audience is consuming, surpassing the 100,000 download milestone. I'm amazed every day and humbled beyond belief, and we're excited to continue this journey, creating great content with rock stars and trailblazers in the wealth management world. In fact, as we prepared for this episode, we looked back on the series to date, the topics and guests that seem to contribute the most to this milestone. And we recognized a thread. The supported independent space was a topic that we covered across several episodes, many of which were amongst our most popular. And we were lucky to welcome leaders from the top firms. But there were three shows in particular, which had more traffic than the others. So I asked the esteemed guests from those three shows to pay a second visit for this very special episode. Cheryl Penny, President and CEO of Dynasty Financial Partners, Jim Dixon, CEO and founder of Sanctuary Wealth, and Rich Steinmeier, Managing Director and Divisional President of LPL Financial. Each dynamos in the industry who graciously accepted our invitation to join us today to talk about what's changed since their last visit, and in an industry where change rules, there's quite a bit to discuss. 
but also to share their perspectives on the evolution of the wealth management space in general and in the independent world specifically. We'll talk about their successes in an incredibly volatile year, clarify the similarities and differences between the firms, and discuss what they see coming down the pike. Each of them represents a model of supported independence, which in and of itself is a testament to how much the independent space has evolved in the past decade. Because prior to 2008, independence just wasn't a mainstream option. It was only the soon-to-retire advisor or the ones who couldn't cut it in the traditional space or the uber-entrepreneurial outlier who would have considered it. But the financial crisis inspired many advisors to realize that a big brand name wasn't only what made them successful. Yet it wasn't until trailblazers and innovators like our guests today entered the space that independence became the down the middle and often most popular destination for top advisor teams. These visionary leaders recognized gaps in the industry and created models that solved for access to capital created turnkey infrastructures, and ultimately provided an easier way to get from there to here, a way for advisors to achieve their entrepreneurial dreams without having to deal with the heavy lift and unknowns associated with migrating from the employee role to independent business ownership. And it's a true testament to an ever-expanding ecosystem designed to support breakaway advisors. It's a show so big that we're delivering it as both an episode in our podcast series, as well as by video. There's much to discuss, not a moment to waste. So let's get to it. I am so excited about this episode and so incredibly thrilled to have these three wonderful men join me. So let's begin. I'd love it if you would each start by telling us a little bit about yourself. So why don't we start with you, Rich, because you're the first one in my screen. Yeah, sure, Mindy. So before I tell a little bit about myself, I did a little bit of research. I know you're celebrating 100,000 downloads. And so I looked into it. I don't know if you know, but the average podcast averages 141 downloads. And so by my math, your number of podcasts are averaging north of 2,000 to 3,000 podcasts, which puts you in the top 10% of all podcasts. And to achieve the top 1% of all podcasts, we need to get to 50,000 downloads per episode. So I'm hopeful that we have some compelling content today and we can get you over in the top 1%. So congratulations to all of your successes. And maybe secondarily, but not less important, I just feel really honored to be able to share some of this with yourself as well as with Jim and Cheryl. They're two leaders that I've respected from afar for quite a long time, and they've done a lot with their firms and really driven a lot of change and dynamicism inside of the industry. And so I'm appreciative just to share this forum with them. So I thank them both as well. Quickly, I'm maybe the odd duck in the crew, maybe a bird of a different feather. I started as a car guy, so I spent my time at Ford and McKinsey, transitioned to Merrill Lynch, and then ended up at UBS. And one of the things and the common themes throughout my career was all about supporting entrepreneurs. So even when I worked at Ford, I was supporting dealers and had a deep appreciation for the entrepreneurs that were running those dealerships. And when I moved to Merrill, 
I came to that same reverence for the financial advisors that really hung their own shingle. And I think that is what has driven my career over time is actually following firms that become more and more advisor centric. And that's the firm that I emanate from. I'm from LPL Financial, which I find LPL for 30 years has really stood for independence. I mean, has been a pioneer in the independent space. And so I've been the last two years at LPL. I am divisional president and um, managing director of business development, which means I help inform advisors in the industry about our offerings and help transition their practices and move them more often than not into independence to running and owning their own businesses in the way that they best see fit. Thank you. Thank you. Shirley, you're up next. Okay. Uh, thank you, Mindy. And let me just uh, echo what Rich said in, in congratulating you on the tremendous success of the podcast. I have to say, I'm not at all surprised. I remember talking to you before you launched it about the vision. Uh, you've executed it well. So congratulations to you and your team. And it's great to, to see Jim and, and Rich, to see you guys and be a part of this uh, together as well. Real quick, in terms of my background, I spent the first half of my career at Smith Barney. I uh, helped them build the ultra high net worth private wealth management business, then spent some time uh, building out the corporate executive uh, initiative at Smith Barney. But really where I think I had the most fun was living in the field uh, with the firm's top advisors, helping them build better relationships with their clients, go out and get new client relationships, grow their businesses, et cetera. And what I found uh, after thousands of meetings with our advisors and their top clients, most of those clients were entrepreneurs. Uh, and I really be, began to be inspired to want to sit on the other side of the table, to be an entrepreneur. And I took uh, what I learned about building platforms for you know, very sophisticated advisors at Smith Barney and applied it to the independent space. And this is probably, uh, Mindy, as you know, a little over 12 years ago, we started the journey to build Dynasty. And at that time, there really wasn't an integrated platform service model in the RAA space to help support that private wealth management corner office uh, type advisor. So uh, with a little help from my friends in terms of investors like Bill Donaldson, uh, Harvey Golub, who'd run American Express, and people that I worked with back at Smith Barney, including Todd Thompson, who had run the business, Jerry Eberhardt, uh, who was a mentor and senior executive there. We raised some seed capital to launch the business. It took, it was the height of the financial crisis when I started the journey in 08. So two years, seven months, and four days later, my wife kept track of how long we went without a paycheck. Mm -hmm. uh, we launched the business at the end of 2010 and have had a you know, reasonable level of, uh, of success uh, since then, uh, onboarding a lot of breakaways, but also already independent firms that really want synthetic scale and to leverage what, what we've built. Today, we have 45 firms where we're that Intel sticker that we're powering. Uh, collectively, they uh, cover about $50 billion and end client assets. And we do just quickly four things for them. We act as a consultant, and that can be you know, based on where they are in their life cycle, launching a firm, helping to professionalize and grow the firm or preparing for succession. We have a capital business, Dynasty Capital Solutions, provides loans to advisors, as well as uh, the ability to buy a revenue interest, which is an equity-like product. Our third business is running all the middle and back office. As you know, most advisors really love to spend as much time as they can with clients, and outsource the middle and back office. We have our own desktop and integrated technology and services uh, to make life easy for the advisors. And then lastly, we've built a very robust investment platform, uh, access to SMAs, alternative uh, managers, lending capability, capital markets, investment banking, et cetera. Uh, and really, you know, the goal has been from day one, not to level the playing field, but to actually tip it in the favor of a large scale, sophisticated, independent advisor 
going up against any private wealth advisor anywhere else in the industry. Thank you. Thank you. And congratulations to you celebrating your 10-year anniversary this year. Thank you. Last but certainly not least, Jim Dixon. Thanks, Mindy. I guess I'm the rookie of the group. So we've been in the independent space for, for three years and honestly wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the Diamond Podcast. That's sort of the funny part of it. When I left Merrill Lynch after a long, successful career, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I knew that independence was a big part of it. And, and it was sort of getting educated or unwirehoused, as I like to say. And, and the, the podcast was really a big part of that. And, and candidly, so was Cheryl, because I think he had, uh, you know, had so much success at Merrill that I had to figure out what he was doing and, and why they were these teams were, were continuing to do it. But I was very fortunate. I had 21 great years at Merrill Lynch. And, you know, but, but I really saw sort of after the financial crisis, I felt like my box began to shrink and it just kept getting smaller and smaller. And as it was, we were bought by a bank, it just changed. And one day, you know, my boss, uh, John Thiel, one of my mentors said he was retiring and I just said, you know what, I don't fit in the box anymore and decided I wanted to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. And so three years ago, we launched Sanctuary Wealth and we launched it really on the back of, of what LPL has done for a long time and what Charlotte built. And we just felt like there was a, a real opportunity to take advantage of what we felt was a frustrated financial advisor population who was really looking for a, a turnkey approach to really sort of become unrestrained and really come into the independent world and have the same solutions that they that they had at the wirehouse, if not more, but most importantly, have the freedom, the flexibility, and the control to control their future and control their destiny. And I, and I think that we were fortunate enough to be in the right place at the right time and catch lightning in a bottle. And I think as we're all seeing, that's playing out. And so Sanctuary Now is a you know, almost a $10 billion hybrid RAA. We've got uh, approaching 40 partner firms and we'll be in 20 states. So we've had a busy three years and, and we're excited about where we are. And we think there's just a, a lot of growth in this independent space that we can all share together. Thank you for that. So let me ask you all something. As the independent space has gone from being sort of a one-off to really a mainstream phenomenon for top teams, the fastest growing part of the industry is this model of supported independence, which is a model that each of the three of you represent. So, and every day it seems like there's a new model of supported independence born. Yet your three models really stand out. Why do you think that is? What do you think it is about your model that, that makes it a unique model of supported independence and why it's better than the rest? I'm happy to jump in on that. I, look, first of all, I think, you know, as I said, the most successful independent advisors that we've worked with, you know, we found they want to be independent, but not alone, right? They really want to be in a community of like-minded advisors. There's a lot of collaboration that happens there. We did a study a couple of years ago, uh, Mindy, that looked at uh, all of our clients that had been already independent before they uh, decided to outsource to us compared to those that we had launched. And we've you know, we've launched probably over the last 10 years, more billion dollar plus breakaways maybe than anyone in the industry. And when we looked at what those firms, their operating margins, what they looked at looked like compared to the ones that were already independent, we found the breakaways, Mindy, were 500 basis points more profitable and growing slightly faster than their already independent counterparts. And what we realized, you know, in over the last 10 years is most advisors, you know, the skill set that made them a great advisor may not be the same skill set that's going to make them a great CEO, right? And there's an evolution, this professionalization that, that has to happen. And once they figure out what is the secret sauce, what are the things that make us unique, and then start to outsource everything else, right, that, that perhaps is more commoditized, 
then they free up their time to allow them to go grow, whether it's organic or, or, or inorganically, adding other advisors. But it also makes them operationally more efficient and ultimately more profitable. And I think that is becoming more mainstream, more advisors are, are realizing it, and it's allowing them to plug into all the various models that are out there to allow them to do what they do best, which is to take care of clients and grow their business. And speaking about Dynasty specifically, who is Dynasty's target constituency? Well, it's really, uh, it's evolved, you know, since we built the business. I mean, we first started, obviously, the press, you know, covered us a lot with these large uh, breakaway teams. But now, as I mentioned, the, the 45 firms and 50 billion in assets, we have really something for everyone. If you're a breakaway that wants to start your own firm, we obviously do a lot of that. If you're a breakaway, and we're seeing this more and more, and I'm sure Rich and, and Jim could speak to this as well with their businesses, but breakaway advisors wanting to sub-aggregate and join other REAs. We do a lot of, of that work. We see a lot of advisors now that want to affiliate. Maybe they don't necessarily want to become an employee. So we have you know, partnerships with firms like Mariner with Mariner Platform Solutions, which is a 1099 model where you can leverage all of our technology and infrastructure and our investment platform and have a 1099 uh, there. If you're a large-scale REA uh, that wants the benefit of synthetic scale and wants to outsource you can plug in there as well. And then lastly, I would say we partnered with a public company called InvestNet that many people would know in the space to work with them to go into their already independent RAA channel to provide capital and, and other business value-added services. So Dynasty today versus where we were 10 years ago, we cast a pretty wide net. But most of the advisors you know, really value their independence. They really want to grow rapidly, organically, or inorganically, and, and tend to have a, a real element of, of entrepreneurship that, that drives them. Thank you. Rich, how about LPL's model of supported independence? What do you think its secret sauce is, and who is the target constituency? So I think the secret sauce, Mindy, is that when, when an advisor or a firm partners with LPL, what you're getting is a real integrated experience. I call it uncompromised independence. More often than not, you're coming from a firm where there was a high level of support, where there was robust resources available, but you found it very restrictive in the ways that they constrained you from doing the business the way you wanted to do it. You found that they constrained your ability to earn money. You may have found that they constrained your product set. But those advisors are looking for a firm that still has a very robust research team, that has very robust product sets, that has open architecture, that has the scale that allows them to make significant investments, that allows you to make investments supporting advisors on our on our platform of north of $150 million a year just in technology enhancements directly contributing to advisors' capabilities. And so in addition to that, I think what we saw was there is an opportunity for us. We transition more twice as many advisors into independence as any other firm and have done that for the last 10 years. But what we saw was there is a number of advisors, primarily at wirehouses, where 40% of W2 advisors say they would prefer to be an independent in the independent channel. But when you see them move, you see less than 15% of them actually moving into independence, and that's from Cerulli. And the challenge is that those advisors who chose not to move independence, what they would put forward is, when I move to independence, I think there's too much time required to run my practice. It's intimidating for me to think about assembling the technology myself. Compliance is too onerous for me. I don't want to take that on on my own. And I want to be an advisor. I want to run my practice, but the operational responsibilities may be too much for me to think about. And so they were intimidated because this black box felt like it was a step too far. And what we recognized is that there was a real opportunity there to say, one, 
We think we can surround you with move out of your office on a Friday. We'll take down the space for you. We'll build out the space for you. We'll build out the technology for you. We'll actually set up your payroll and, and your support system so that it is a seamless transition, just like you were moving from Merrill Lynch to Morgan Stanley, except your name's on the wall. In addition to that, though, that's not sufficient. I think we saw that the need was there in addition to support me through all of those concerns that I had. So stand me up with a marketing lead that is going to work with me to establish my DBA, that is going to keep me prominent in the marketplace, that is going to make sure that I am continuing to evolve my presence and my brand, put a CFO and attach that CFO to me so I run the business right. So I don't make those missteps where I'm under-investing in the business, over-investing in the business, understanding where to gain capital from. Um, additionally, set up my set a CTO with me to run that technology. I don't want to stay abreast of fraud prevention technology. I don't want to stay abreast of what the local area network needs to be, how it needs to be secure. In an environment like this, make sure that I can work remotely without a hiccup, right? I don't want to figure that out myself or go to Best Buy and ask what the offerings that they would recommend would be. And so when you put those together, plus providing admin services and you put them together, all of a sudden we say, we'll help you move independence. We will white glove you all along the way. We will then provide ongoing support and stand around you in that supported independence model with employees of LPL, not outsourced firms, with employees of LPL whose name you know. And in addition to that, because we run that integrated experience with you, we're pulling through economics in a differentiated way. And so you're not coming out of pocket at all. And so when you transition, we're actually going to provide you capital to make that transition. So you do not pull a dollar out of your pocket to make that transition. So that's kind of how we saw the opportunity and then said, my gosh, we have these capabilities. We support all of these advisors. We're running these transitions daily. We can enhance that service offering and we can refine it and align it to support breakaways in a way that I think makes it seamless for them to transition. But in addition to that, make sure that there are guardrails and support so they run the best practices possible. Thank you. Jim. You know, building on on what my colleague said, I think there's three parts of our secret sauce. I think the first part is we speak wirehouse. Uh, it wasn't too long ago that myself and the executive team was there. So when we're working with the team, we know exactly what they're talking about. And we know the language and we know the products and we know the services and we know how to map those to independence. And I think that's a big deal because sometimes that's intimidating, right? When, when you don't know what it is, but when you can provide that map, you can clearly put that in place. I think that's important, but I think that's second to... We solved what I call the least common denominator problem. We're incredibly picky about who comes in sanctuary. You know, it's a, it's a community. It's a network. We hire CFAs. We hire CFPs. We hire people with clean compliance records. And then we treat them as adults. And the biggest frustration we hear over and over and over again with wirehouse advisors is I can't serve my clients to my full potential. I can't do what I want to do because there's this least common denominator of some advisor in some small office who did something wrong once. And so by being really picky about who we let in the sanctuary and how we treat them, they can do more. They can try things. They can use video. They can use conference calls. They can do things that they couldn't do about the wirehouses and that excites them. And, and honestly, that leads to the third part of the secret sauce, which is raving fan. You know, we have now approaching 40 teams and they have killed it. They've done incredibly, incredibly well. They've transitioned on average over 90%. And so we just tell our prospects, hey, talk to our other partner firms. And, and we're not on that call. We say, tell them how we did, the good, the bad, the ugly. And I think that's been those raving fans that really helped us to accelerate that and, and really realize that not only can you move to, you know, from a wirehouse to independence, but you can do it very successfully and you can really improve the client experience for, for your clients. And I think at the end of the day, that's what advisors are looking for. 
For sure. So let me ask you all a question. You each represent sort of a different version of supported independence. Cheryl, Dynasty is a model where each advisor has their own ADV. They are their own RIA. Jim, yours is a model that's more of a hybrid RIA that owns a broker-dealer, but the advisor's on a corporate ADV. Rich, yours, LPL, is an independent broker-dealer. So talk to me, if you would. I think a lot of people, especially the top advisors of the industry, are all looking, they hear your names, the names of each of your firms have become household names. But what they lack is sort of the transparency or the real understanding. Words like shared ADV doesn't necessarily mean anything to them. Or what is the difference between independent broker dealer or an RIA with your own ADV? So can you each take just a minute and share with us what the difference is from your perspective? Why don't we start with you, Jim, because you've been last the last three times. Yeah, perfect. You know, I think for us, it's a shared ADV and, and, and owning our own broker dealer was about controlling the experience, right? And one of the things that kind of going back to that least common denominator that frustrated me as I studied the independent market was why wouldn't you want an advisor to have the best toolbox? And if you have a great advisor, he or she should be able to use a broker dealer. They should be able to use an RIA. They should have everything in their toolbox so they can serve the client. And if we hire the right advisors, they can do that. So when we built Sanctuary and we launched it, we were very specific about that. We wanted to have our own broker dealer so that, that there wasn't a clumsy experience and there wasn't a handoff. We owned it. If, if something was wrong, we, our team, the Sanctuary team fixed it. And then as a shared ADV, we just found as we listened and we talked to advisors and we built it out, is they really wanted to work on their clients. They didn't want to work on their business. They wanted to spend time you know, on marketing they wanted to spend time on client service. They didn't want to spend time trying to figure out, you know, what the CRS disclosure was for the Reg BI filing that was just announced and try to keep up with that. And so we just felt that the right move for us and the broader wirehouse audience and the ability to grow was to have a shared ADV model. And, and that fits for some people. And there's others that like their own ADV model. And, and I think what's so unique about the independent space is there's room for both. And I think that's what's unique. But for us, we want that advisor that really wants to lean on us for that back and middle office and really focus their time because at the end of the day, we think they're going to grow faster. And that's why we've chose to go in that direction. And Sanctuary, I know, just launched a new initiative where you're beginning to do what Cheryl talked about, beginning to sub-aggregate, if you will. Yeah. How is that going and what's the why for that? Yeah, so we've always wanted to be a three-act play. We felt the first act of the play was going to build this nationwide network of breakaways. And once we had that that built, and, and, and we're still building, obviously, but we had that, we felt that the smartest way we could be in the sub-acquisition space was to feed our partners. And that's candidly what the partnership program is all about, is to say to our partners, listen, nobody knows the boardrooms and the wirehouses better than you do. Who is it in your market that may be transitioning? Because we all know we're in this demographic phase right now where Cerule says one out of every five advisors is going to retire over the next five years. And so we want to participate in that. And we had the capital to participate in that. And so it's simple for us. We don't buy any of our existing partner firms equity. But together, we go out and make investments together to aggregate and to, to you know do those sub-acquisitions. And so what's really interesting is I thought this would be a big deal, but I had no idea how it would actually feed act one of the play. Because what we're finding now is bigger teams are coming to us and said, listen, we've heard about your partnership program. And so when we get there, you know, we're going to introduce you to these three teams. And this is the acquisitions we think we could make. And so shame on me for not being wiser and sort of anticipating that. But it's been a huge deal to us. And I think it's really caused our pipeline to, to swell and grow faster than it ever has. Because I, I do think those relationships in those local communities are a big deal. And there's trust built. And so plugging into those just made sense for us. 
Yeah. And Rich, for LPL, I want to hear your perspective on the independent broker-dealer, an advisor being independent under a broker-dealer versus an RIA construct, number one. But number two, I guess the biggest question is, this model of supported independence is relatively new for LPL. And how does it relate to or differ from LPL's overall value proposition with many thousands of advisors? How is that good or bad for the advisors under the umbrella? Yeah, great question. Thank you. So I think the interesting thing, Mindy, is you had referenced us as an independent broker dealer. And I think that is, you know, when you think about the 30-year legacy, I think that is how there was a perception and there was a truth to that was LPL was an independent broker dealer. But I told you that we were also the fourth largest custodian in the country, right? If I told you that we run one of the largest corporate RIAs in the country, probably in the top five in the country, we've evolved well beyond an independent broker-dealer. It's a moniker that sticks and we still embrace it because we support the broker-dealer business. We support advisors on those platforms. But I think we've really become much more of a firm that has molded ourselves to meet advisors in their journey. And so sometimes that means that those would be journeys where we support advisors who have dropped their licenses and they're running their own RIA. We have hundreds of advisors who run RIA only affiliated with us as a custodian, right? We have advisors who have dropped their licenses and run on our corporate RIA. So I think you'll see us, we're announcing in the next month that we're introducing an independent employee option for advisors who want to be independent and want that control, but also want to have space and and benefits provided for them as well with some other, I think, enhancements that we'll provide. And so I think you've seen a firm that's actually evolved to really a partnership model across. And I think at the heart of this firm is listening to advisors and understanding what they want to be and how they want to run their practices and us being malleable, flexible, and fungible so that we can fill and support those advisors. But beyond that, then, that means that the scale you referenced, I mean, we serve 17,000 clients. We have 17,000 advisors that are affiliated with us and partner with us. And so we believe that that scale gives us the ability to invest at levels that not only do we have aspirations to serve those advisors, but when we see their needs, we actually can make investments. And I think you've hit the nail on the head here. We've introduced strategic wealth services, which is our supported independence model over the last you know, two quarters. And the reason we did that was that we recognized that we had built these capabilities. We had built the capability to support through a virtual marketing officer and a CFO and a CTO. And we already had the breadth of capabilities that were available across product sets and offerings and support of you know, partnerships with Goldman Sachs for banking and investment services as well. And so when we came together, the piece parts were there. And then there was a commitment to serve advisors who wanted us and wanted a publicly traded firm who has transparency to see where are we making the investments, how strong are our financials, how can I get a rock solid firm, but that's going to support me and take me out and allow me to run my own business. I think that's how you saw us come together into the space. And then lastly, maybe what I would tell you is that we learned what the best in class were doing. And I think that, you know, you look at Cheryl and you look at Jim and say, wow, there's really tremendous things that have been done there and real trailblazers. And so we're coming with a community affiliated with Strategic Well Services that is standing relationship management exclusively for that channel, right? You come with exclusive service for that channel, exclusive capabilities and offerings into that channel. So we are willing to mold our offerings in support of advisors while still bringing the heft of that large organization. And maybe lastly, what I would say, Mindy, is as I alluded to, 
And some of those partners, you can say, hey, we're the fourth largest custodian. Yet I would tell you, look at us, we're the only custodian that exclusively supports advisors. And so the alignment and investment and orientation to this firm is solely to promote advisors. And I think that is a distinction that I think we are very proud of. And it keeps us very humble as well, because every day we come in not to serve retail clients and not to serve end investors through a robo, but to actually help our advisors perform distinctively in the marketplace with no conflict and with their partner not being in conflict with them trying to win their clients as well. Thank you, Rich. Shirley, I'd love to hear your perspective. Again, a a pure RIA model, advisors run their own ADV. I know you and I have talked many times over the years that Dynasty was built deliberately not to have a broker-dealer relationship. So I know you've got a very different perspective on it all and would love to hear it. Yeah, you know, from our perspective, you're right, Mindy. We we decided early on that we wanted to be a B2B organization, right? Business to business and the types of business that our underlying advisor, which is our, our client, is with the advisor, the types of business they want to run. If they want to run more of a, a roll-up or a sub-aggregated type model, we provide the capital and technology and support. That's great. If they want to run a 1099 model like what we're doing with Mariner and we're providing the, the support, that's great. If they want to stand up their own firm and have their own ADV, uh, their own LLC, et cetera, that's great as well. Specifically to why to answer the commingled ADV or, or not in terms of what a lot of our clients, and again, there's no wrong or right answer here. It's, it, I agree with what Jim said earlier. It's great that there's so many different options that are available in the space. But if you look at our average standalone RAA, the average size that we're supporting right now is around $850 million. So on the larger side of, of standalone REAs, and we tend to see where people come in the space and they start to think about where it makes sense for them to have their own ADV is kind of at that $500 million and above level. Now, there's exceptions to that. We've set up some smaller firms and we've done billion-dollar tuck-ins as well. But in general, half a billion or more is where we start to see breakaways say, you know what, maybe I want to have my own ADV, my own firm. And usually what they'll say is they want to have that for more control, more freedom in terms of how they might want to deliver client service, maybe more flexibility uh, from a compliance uh, standpoint. Sometimes those advisors can be concerned about commingled ADV risk if there's an advisor somewhere else in a different part of the country that maybe does something that could jeopardize the brand that they're now sharing, you know, that could adversely impact them. And if they're large enough uh, to go out and develop and build their own brand, and they're a little more of a, of a rugged individualist, even though they have that, you know, the scaffolding, if you will, around their firm and supportive dependents, those tend to be the advisors that we see that, that will go down that path. And the ones that don't necessarily want to do all the things, as, as Rich was saying, that maybe some advisors don't want to do. The great thing is, you know, similar to what, you know, the other panelists here were saying, we have options where the advisors can sub-aggregate, you know, into any number of our 45 firms, or they can affiliate through the, the 1099 model. So, you know, one of the great things about the evolution of the independent space over the last, you know, 10, 15 years or so uh, is so many different options, right? So, you, bet. Uh, you know, as I, I forget who said it, but in terms of checking the boxes, I think the space is kind of systematically check just about every objection box, right, that you might hear from a wirehouse advisor to say, well, I can't go independent because you don't have X, Y, or Z. Well, at this point, pretty much, you know, with all the the ecosystem growth 
investment in technology, access to capital, all the different models that are out there is pretty much something for, for everyone. So there's really no excuse left anymore for an advisor to say that independence isn't for me if they're at least up to making a move with their business. Yeah, and I think you're spot on. That's the beauty of this is there you represent three different versions of supported independence, but there absolutely isn't a right or wrong. It's all about the advisor. The beauty from where I sit is exactly that. I love that the ecosystem has grown so wide and that there are so many different models because we tell advisors they're much more likely today to find their version of utopia than ever before. pivot a bit away from your current models and talk a little bit about the worlds you came from. Common ground amongst the three of you is you all come from the the wirehouse world. Rich from UBS, Cheryl from Smith Barney, and Jim from Merrill Lynch. Jim, I want to start with you. When I interviewed you three years ago, just after the launch of Sanctuary, you used a term that made me smile, and it's so true. You talked about how you and all of the Life from Merrill advisors had drank the Kool-Aid. So what is that Kool-Aid? And how has your view of the wirehouse to independent sort of the breakaway world changed since you've been in it the last three years? Yeah, so thanks for reminding me, Mindy. But I was guilty as charged. I, I did serve the Kool-Aid. I think you had to be there. And as I look back, I, I think I always had advisors' best interest in art and always had clients in art. But you sort of have this blinders on sometime when you're in a wirehouse. And, and if somebody tells you that the best technology is, is what you're rolling out, you roll it out and you believe it's the best technology, but you never really pick your head up to look around and say, what else is there? And so as I think about it, sort of embarrassingly, I think two things that I just would point to, I think culture-wise, the warehouses have gotten less and less entrepreneurial, and that means less innovation and client service is sort of dragging. And I think that's a big deal because as we talk to advisors, that's what they say to us is like, you know, we don't lead the way anymore. Statements like that. And so what I'm so excited about and impressed in the independent space is is the financial technology is amazing. I mean, the things that you can do and the ability now that that all of us have here, I think that's differentiated this is is we all have our our desktops or we've sort of aggregated and plumbed it all together. And so for a wirehouse advisor, he or she can walk in and basically have the same thing and most of the time better with greater flexibility. And so as I think about that, you know, I think I said this to you before and I believe it, you know, historically when I grew up at a wirehouse, there was this three-legged stool and one leg of the stool was the advisor. One leg of the stool was the client and one leg was the shareholder. And if I think about it today, I think it's gone. You know, the client leg is now shorter than ever. And you know what? The advisor's leg's been cut off. And candidly, I think that's the frustration and that's why we're seeing people put their head up just like I did. And when they put their head up, they see this innovation and this entrepreneurialism and this better model and they're running towards it. So I think a lot of it dictates back to, you know, that, that, that stool and, and really the fact that that, that advisor, you know, it's, it's really all about that short-term profitability and it's not about that advisor anymore. And I just think the best advisors never settle. Yeah, thank you. Which is a good segue to you, Rich. Rich, you came from UBS and you had a good purview into the technology world at UBS. What is your sense of technology in the independent space as compared to technology in the wirehouse world? Yeah, Mindy, I wanted to point out just one thing, and it's so cool that we're doing a video for this. If you want to know the difference between a wirehouse and independence, look at the smile on Jim's face. Yeah. <laughs> about being happy. Right. I speak to probably five to 10 advisors a week 
that are out in the wirehouses and they are like, like moaning and look yeah. at his face, right? Like that's what this is about. It's about coming to work every day and loving what you do and being unencumbered to support advisors and not have to apologize for some nonsense policy that got in the way, not have to talk about the branch manager that wanted to quid pro quo you to get a margin rate. So, but yet you got to shed all these small households. Like this is about coming here and listening to advisors and serving them. So like, I just was like grinning ear to ear because I saw his smile and his conviction. And that's what this is about. I know you want to- Hey Rich, I've got a recruiting call tomorrow. Can you join me? (laughs) (laughs) But Mindy, so let me go back and let me be a dutiful soldier and answer your question, which is, it's an interesting approach, right? When you think about, um, when I was in technology in the wires, you kind of have a monolithic stack and it is, hey, this is the integrated, deeply integrated and maybe suboptimal technology, but there's one flavor, right? As long as you like vanilla, and by the way, most of the time it's a good vanilla. It's not a convenience store vanilla, right? It's a Briars with some specks in there and it's a French vanilla, but it's a vanilla. And so there's deep integration, but there's one solution there. And if so, I was at Mother Merrill too, and and where there were challenges in the technology, in the discrete capabilities, in the CRM, in the risk evaluation, in the trading integration, you know, you don't have anything to do with that. On the other end of the spectrum is where I think it was alluded to earlier, in the RIA space, it's uncompromised in terms of those capabilities that you can have. But I'm going to take you back kind of to my car world. So maybe the wirehouses are, when I was at Ford, maybe it's one make and one model. Hope to God people like Tauruses because they're pretty solid and they get along and they'll last for a while, but the Taurus is what you get. And maybe on the other end, I would say in the RIA space, the challenge for folks going on their own is that you may get the best bumper, the best transmission, the best infotainment package, but the integration actually matters. And so when I was at Ford, we didn't sell kits, we sold cars, right? And so there were options of the ways that you would stack together. And I would tell you philosophically, what we think about in technology at LPL is we need to bring those best of breed capabilities to allow those advisors to harness the best of breed capabilities that are out there in the technology that the RIA world would see. But we think that the stitching together through integration is terribly important. And so for us, we kind of find ourselves in the middle of that, which is we go do the due diligence on those best capabilities. We then work hard to build our workflows so that they can integrate those outside technologies in with our proprietary technologies so that we have the best capability set that optionalizes into what the advisor needs. So I would say optionality is a huge difference versus kind of a monolith, as well as then the ability to really orient to what advisors need. Thank you. Sure. I am an advisor who services a very sophisticated, ultra high net worth client base who wouldn't want more freedom and control and flexibility and ownership? It all sounds great. And I'm watching my billion dollar friends move in that direction as well. But my business is really ultra high net worth. And I feel convinced that I would never be able to replicate the products, services, solutions, and even technology that this ultra sophisticated client base would need. How would you respond to that? In the RA space, I mean. Yeah, no, ha- happy to do that. I just would quickly add to what my colleagues here were saying in terms of, look, in, in the breakaway process, we spend at Dynasty very little time talking about where the advisor is coming from, meaning that, you know, we don't sit around, obviously, and talk negatively about the wirehouses because I frankly don't see them as our competitor. They do something completely different. And the most successful firms that we've launched, Mindy, are the ones that are really excited about what they're running towards. 
not trying to run away from something. Right. And it's a very different mindset. Right. Somebody's excited to go build and launch their own business and brand and go through that evolution of advisor to CEO. And they're excited about bringing their partners and clients along for the journey. And it's much more of a positive. So when you talk about people smiling, it's much more of a a positive educational process uh, than it is a sales process where it's about a deal or why my firm's better than yours. It's just fundamentally a very different model. Uh, what I would say, as I mentioned earlier, in terms of, you know, to your question of why, you know, the ultra high net worth client can be serviced perhaps better today on, on this side, I would draw a comparison to looking at the whole family office movement, right, over the last hundred years. If you think about, I call it the triangulation of advice, where a family office, very sophisticated billionaire has known this, you know, for a long time now, that the best model to receive advice is to have advice completely separate from where safe custody occurs, and then separate again from where products are manufactured and delivered. And then you have technology, whether it's reporting, desktop, et cetera, that ties that experience together. What firms like all of ours represent, you know, what Dynasty's done is democratize the triangulation of advice so that now if you're an RIA that gives advice completely separate from safe custody at Fidelity, Schwab, Pershing, who, who are great partners of ours, then can go out and access any type of alternative manager, SMA, uh, structured product, et cetera, completely separate with $50 billion of buying power, right? So if you're a million-dollar client of one of our advisors, you're getting that same triangulated experience. And today, uh, from an execution standpoint, Mindy, whether it's an SMA manager, you need you know, the ability to step out of trade and, and trade with anyone you want to shop multiple banks. I mean, if you're uh, an advisor that's an employee somewhere, you typically can't go shop alone because that's selling away. If you're an independent RIA, you can shop multiple banks. You want to go out and shop as an advocate for your client, three or four different investment banks because they're a business owner that's looking to maybe sell their business. You can go out and access a whole ecosystem of investment banks that want to service RIAs. You just, you have more choice and you have great technology now that wraps that experience together uh, so that if you're an ultra high net worth client, you have that advisor who can be your family office type advisor with this whole ecosystem and infrastructure to support them. And I, I sit with a lot of our advisors in transition with their top clients. Uh, it, it usually takes 45 seconds, literally, where the client goes, I totally get it. And then they look across the table and say, why wouldn't everyone want that model? That makes total sense to me. I think, you know, at the high end to your question, the triangulated advisory model, the whole independent multifamily office movement will will continue to outpace pretty much every other model in the wealth management space going forward. Thank you. I have a question for all of you. As you all know, both because you came from the world and because you're in traffic with breakaway advisors every day, the big firms are all working hard to tie advisors up as best they can. And the best tool they have for doing that are these retire in place or sunset programs. At Merrill, it's CTP. At Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, it's FAP. UBS, it's Alpha. In your view, what's right and wrong with those programs? Or what's right and wrong for an advisor, a senior advisor who's, say, 10 years from retirement in considering those programs? I'm happy to jump in on on that one quickly. I I would say our biggest competitor probably for all of us uh, in this space is inertia. And, you know, what to the benefit of the advisors, they don't have to do much. They can stay put. They can sign the agreement. The negative is it's not very tax efficient. You know, they're W-2 employees, so they're paying 
income tax on the earnout, and they probably, uh, in good conscience, think that the firm is great today to take care of their clients and their succession plan with their junior partners. They feel good about it. But what they can't control is what that firm looks like three, five, 10 years down the road when maybe it's not the best place you know, for their junior associates uh, or, or their clients. And once they have monetized or sold their book, it essentially locks in the junior partners who are going to service it locks in the clients as well. And that's why, uh, Mindy, you know, one of the things that we're seeing happening on an accelerated basis, and I bet Rich and and Jim see this too, uh, are multi-generational teams seeking to go independent to execute succession planning. Because now the senior principal has more flexibility. They can stay on as a vice chairman. They're not forced to leave. They can sell over time. It's long-term capital gains tax if they structure it uh, the the right way. And then it allows uh, their team that they're turning the the book over to, to have much more flexibility on how they evolve the client service model for the client's benefit going forward. Yeah, I agree with that, Cheryl. And I I would just add, you know, I I think I was with you, Mindy, Vince Fertitta, we were together at the Schwab conference and my old firm announced an enhanced program. And my partner, Vince said, wait a minute, if you sit there and you think about it, that junior partner is going to pay for this transition over five or seven years, and they're going to get zero equity for it. Who in the world would do that deal? And so what we see today is really strong push from the junior partners, those that have a long runway saying, you can't do this to me. You can't leave me here because you're, you're going to force me to sign a document that says I'm stuck forever. And if we go to salary or we go to some of those things that, that creep into people's minds, sometimes I'm stuck. And so what we've seen is, is exactly what Cheryl said. A lot of people in that G2, that next generation that are saying, I'm not going to do this. And while I think it's a good program for the senior advisor, because it's safe and it's easy, I think it's that next generation. And and most of the time in our experience, when you sit down with that senior advisor and you really talk about what it means to the junior partners, they quickly understand. And they really say, I don't want to do that. I care about my partners. Let's talk about how we can do something more tax efficient. Let's talk about my legacy. And so, you know, I think that the the program has got great intention, but I really think it puts those junior partners in a really, really bad place. Thank you for that. How does then the senior advisor monetize his life's work. I absolutely agree with you that it's G2 that's sort of the driving force that says, whoa, good for you, but not good for me. And if I'm the legacy for the business, that can't be right. But in the end, you've got a senior advisor that needs to monetize and it was his business or her business Mm -hmm. to start. So how does that work? Rich, do you want to take that one? Yeah, I will. Absolutely. But I was going to just add one point to both what Cheryl and Jim had said. I think, Mindy, before these folks get and sign these agreements, there's a need for river guides in this industry. There's a need to speak with knowledgeable people like yourself and like your firm who actually can help them, not direct them one way or the other. But when you do the analysis, I think Cheryl pointed it out really well. This is not an efficient way. It's not a tax efficient way. It actually is also sub-optimizes the value that they can get for the business. And I think they get into this default of convenience versus they live their lives actually being very crisp in articulating and analyzing facts sets to help their clients. But when it comes to their most valuable asset, sometimes they'll default to convenience. And I I was on with an advisor and a private wealth advisor two weeks ago. He's 58 years old. And he said, I can't believe that I'm going to have to retire from this firm because I'm tied into two other books because I was the junior partner on them that are going to put me at an age where I think I'm going to be too old to make the transition myself. So I'm going to ultimately end up pursuing this program myself, which I know is wrong. And I think it perpetuates the wrong decisions. And I think there's a really strong 
call to action here to call a river guy, to call a diamond consultants and actually just get a third party before you go and make that decision. Just get some information from a knowledgeable source. And so I think, you know, the answer to the question that you had posed was if you go out there and get some independent view and an independent look and help um, a third party who would help you in any way, you, if you're making a big decision, you often use a third party to help you make those decisions. That's a really big decision. And if you go out and get a reputable source to help you analyze and make that decision, I think what you'll realize in many cases that that inconvenience and what you believe to be a big black box that is scary, that drives to this 94% of advisors staying in place despite their best interest, I think they'll learn that it's not as scary. It's not as intimidating. It actually will work and monetize better for the senior partner. It will allow the junior partners to run the business the way they want to run it. And it'll allow, I think as Cheryl said, it'll allow you to not be forced out at the end of six years. It'll allow you to stay in the business the way you want to stay in the business. Like the degree of control that you take back by making that decision yourself is so worth the slight inconvenience that you're going to live through. I just, I think it's a really serious decision that should be taken very seriously. And in most instances, that means bringing in someone else who can help you assess that decision versus your divisional manager, your branch manager, or your complex director who have talking points around why you should be doing that. I know you have a point of view on this, Cheryl, about what about the senior advisor? If I've got seven to 10 years left to work or five to seven years left to work, I don't want to wait 10 years to really maximize the enterprise value to really realize long-term. What's yeah. in it for me? So I have a, a, just a quick case study to follow up on what, what Rich said, because we, we just had a situation that looks exactly like this. Multi-generational team, they're doing 5 million. We launched them. They have 30% net income margins as an REA, so one and a half million off the five net income. The second generation put a seven multiple internally on the business, so evaluation of 10 and a half million. We financed the down payment at 50%, and then the, the rest of it is being paid out from cash flow from operations over three years. So senior principal goes independent with a junior principal, gets long-term capital gains tax on 10 and a half million, right, over three years and stays on as a vice chairman, being able to come in the office, spend time with staff that, that he's known forever, uh, be able to see longtime client relationships, continue to mentor the people within the firm. Everyone wins. The client wins, the second generation in the firm wins, the senior principal wins, et cetera. But uh, to your question, for someone who's seven to 10 years out, that's a, a really good time to start doing due diligence right now. I find all too often that people wait until the last minute to start doing due diligence, talking to peers, talking to somebody such as yourself, uh, Mindy. Uh, you really want to start to learn the language, whether it's internal succession or you're going to ultimately think that you're going to sell your business, starting uh, to talk to people uh, as early as possible, and then starting to put in place things that help have the client have a relationship with your brand. We do find that, that firms that it's not about a senior principal. Right When that principal leaves and now 20, 30% of their clients leave as well, you really need to institutionalize the client relationship with the brand. You have to think through systems and operations and tech enable all aspects of your, of your firm, enhance the profitability, et cetera. And then the other huge mistake that we see advisors make sometimes, Mindy, uh, is they say, okay, I'm going to sell the firm in seven years. Well, the best time to sell a firm is when you don't have to. Right. So do all these things to professionalize the firm. And if you have the right buyer that has the right cultural fit, 
it's great for your clients and your staff, and that happens to come along in year five, then you probably should do it, right? Because you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, look what, what's happened in 2020, right? None of us would have predicted what we're all living in right now in January of this year, right? So if everything lines up and it's the right fit, we oftentimes tell people to go ahead and, and transact because you never know what tomorrow brings. But start talking to peers, get educated, learn the language, don't learn how to shoot the gun, if you will, on the battlefield when you might be you know, on the other side of that up against people who do it all the time for a living. Jim, let me ask you a question. There has been a mind-boggling amount of transitioning, advisors moving firms in the midst of an unprecedented global and financial crisis. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, it's mind-boggling because you think, oh my God, the world is falling apart and, and advisors are moving. And on the other hand, it makes sense. I'd love to hear from your perspective. Why do you think that makes sense? It surprised me. You know, I think back to, you know, the financial crisis, I think back to 9-11 and we saw it there. So maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, but I think it's because advisors, you know, they had time and they had time at their homes to sit back and, and you know, that, that, that first two weeks to a month, they took care of all their clients. That's what great advisors do. And then after that was over, they had this time on their hand to think about their practice and to think about, you know, what I like to call the tax they were paying and all the things that they were paying for that they weren't using and weren't, weren't, you know, didn't need. And, and what we saw was about that fourth week, it just took off and advisors started to want to talk to us about, you know, really the model and independence in general. And, and then they started to then go back and sort of go through that, that circle of life where they're like, well, why am I doing that if this is available? And so I think that just picked up steam. And then they talked to some of their friends and they go, yeah, yeah, we're doing the same thing. And it was just sort of this snowball rolling downhill that I think is we're going to all benefit from for a really long time. But I just think it's time that they slowed down and really had a deep, deep thought on, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing? And when they did that, they saw a better model. And I think they saw the freedom and flexibility to take control. Yeah. Rich, what would you say to that? I know before we, in, as we were all signing on here, you were mentioning that, that LPL has been doing a good amount of transitioning advisors in the last couple of months. So kudos to you. What do you think is driving that? Well, it's interesting, Mindy, because I just got data last week from Discovery. So actually, in March, April, and May, advisor transitions were down 40% year over year. So it's interesting. You still see big teams making the move, and you still see significant advisors with conviction moving. But overall, movement is down pretty significantly during COVID. I will tell you, the interesting thing is for us, we haven't seen that. So we've, we've moved unabated. So our, we had a record first quarter. We're publicly traded, so I can't talk about our second quarter yet, but we feel reasonable good about the momentum we had in the first quarter will continue into the second quarter. What we see is that it's not as intimidating. So the interesting things is because we do enough transitions, we get to see data pretty quickly. We see advisors actually getting to 96% of their assets coming over in three months now. So the actual ramping of their assets is being truncated. We used to see that at six months. We see it at three months. And one of the reasons is that clients are available. The advisors who are well-prepared, who are with a firm, who structured the transition really well with them that run, I think our playbook is 15-page playbook for how you bring out an advisor and how you make sure they're set up properly and how they are prepared. They don't kind of move into this on their own. Their clients are available. Their clients are willing to talk. Their clients have off hours now that, you know, maybe they can time shift their work. And so their ability to actually engage those clients and tell them their story and set up their firm successfully, I think that is where you're 
you're going to see some of the things that Jim alluded to where we're going to see this, like the success of these advisors moving during a pandemic. I think that will be success will beget success. I think you will see more and more advisors recognizing, oh my goodness, this is actually, it may, may or may not be the right time for me. That's all a personal decision. It's your business. But if I choose to move in this time, there are firms there that can help me. And I think we had alluded to as we were setting up the audio, we're seeing transitions. 70% of the advisors that are transitioning, we're doing most of ours remote. So we'll send them an Amazon Echo show and we'll actually sit with them side by side virtually through that piece of technology. But there's another 30% we're doing in person because the advisors are kind of like, let's get back to business. So I think there is an increasing fortitude to say, wow, this isn't as intimidating. My clients are available. My clients understand some of the things that Jim had alluded to in that I may not be getting the right support and value that I need. And they're challenging the wires had delayed all of their effective reductions in payout, but they're still set for next January. And so everybody still sees this continual reduction in pay is out there for me as well. And I think they're recognizing more so than ever, there are alternatives. And I thought that I was tied to this office and to this firm and I'm working really well from home on my own. And oh my gosh, let me take that one level further and let me run my own practice. And so those are the things that are starting to kind of come together that those that are knowledgeable and hopefully folks that are listening to podcasts like this will start to recognize and maybe have a little more fortitude about the fact that it is scary, but it's not nearly as scary as I thought it was. Yeah. One thing they've been telling, advisors have been telling us is that they actually found that the depth of relationships that they really forged with their clients during the pandemic actually fueled their confidence in making a move, whether it be to go independent or otherwise. And actually those moving independence said that, that for the last X number of months I've been working from home, I realized how not dependent upon a branch manager or my office infrastructure I am. So I'm already sort of functioning as an independent. I may as well just rip off the bandaid and go the rest of the way. One other thing, just real quick. Sure. The other thing is this is really different from 0809. Right, 0809 advisors were fighting against the firms that they were attached to, their brands were anchors. And so they had to explain away and apologize for what was going on with their firm structurally. And this is an environment in the pandemic where I think advisors are stepping forward. I think they're helping families. I think they're more engaged with the families to help them understand how to succeed and how to achieve their goals and life dreams. And I think we're we're viewed more as part of the solution. And I think during the Great Recession, I think we were viewed as part of the problem and we had to overcome that. And so I think those bonds to the clients, as you just mentioned, are strengthening now. And I don't think there's as much animosity there to the industry as well, which I think creates more degrees of freedom for advisors. Sorry for stepping over you. No, not at all. Not at all. Cheryl, question for you. We talk a lot about building a business with the end in mind. And if we think that we're talking to prospective breakaways who are now considering going independent, what does that mean to you? Just to add one quick thing to what Rich was saying, I I think anytime that there's a shock to the system, it just accelerates trends that had already started. And, you know, trends towards tech enabling transitions. Now we're forced to do it. I mean, Dynasty is in the midst of seven transitions right now. Uh, of all different forms, M&A, sub-aggregation, tuck-in, billion-dollar stand-up breakaway, uh, and the technology that we're being deployed now. I agree with my colleagues here. It's going to make us all much better uh, and more efficient and faster on transitions a year from now. So in, in a lot of ways, I'm excited about what's going on right now. And I also agree with you, Mindy. This is the Advisor Super Bowl uh, right now in terms of being relevant and present with their client, uh, and they'll 
uh, you know, put relationships in place that will be solid for, for many years to come for the work that they're doing now. We talked to a lot of advisors uh, about making the move to independence. Probably the biggest issue for them for breakaways to put their head around is the CEO slash CFO mentality, right? Which to understand because they were in a branch environment, maybe they have a manager that's handling a lot of that for them now. So we spend a lot of time building sample P&Ls for them to help them understand what are their fixed costs, which you know, quite simply, usually it's just their real estate uh, and their staff. And then their variable uh, cost would be, you know, 67 different vendor balls if they try to build their own REA, uh, or if they plug into Dynasty, it's just us. And then we show them what their gross income is, what's their advisor payout, which leads to net income, et cetera. So that's usually one of the, the, the biggest lifts. And then the second is helping them think through uh, where do they want their, what's their brand aspiration? What's the brand architecture look like in terms of where they are now as, as an employee advisor? Well, how do they want to build a brand? What's that growth going to look like? Is it organic and then inorganic by adding other advisors? Is it both of those things? How do they see it evolving? And we help them build economic models as well as business plans, right? To look at that growth and how it's going to occur and what's going to happen to profitability and then tie it back to enterprise value. At the end of the day, uh, how's it going to grow uh, the enterprise value, the equity valuation, help them think through how they might share that uh, with their employees, and then spend a lot of time with them. Really, when we talk about mapping the book, mapping loans and mapping technology needs or CRM needs, the team, really what we're talking about is mapping client experience, making sure that the way they envision servicing their clients going forward, that they're going to be able to do that. We we hate surprises. I'm sure all of us as leaders hate surprises, and we certainly don't want to surprise our clients. So you say, begin with the end in mind, you know, it's the art of war, right? You know, the battle's won before the first shot's ever taken. So, you know, whether it's 15 pages like Rich was talking or our 175-step transition process, there's a lot of preparation. And I'm sure that all my other colleagues here would agree, we take it very, very serious because this is somebody's life's work that they're entrusting us to help them transition to a new model. Uh, And usually for most of these people, it's a new model for the first time that they're experiencing it. So we spend a lot of time in that preparation to make sure they launch uh, strong with their brand, with their office, to make sure they're in the best position possible to quickly get their their clients and teams safely moved over. And so I'm going to ask each of you, Cheryl, what is your advice if you were talking to a breakaway what's your number one bit of advice for a prospective breakaway start doing due diligence now i'll tell you i'm sure again colleagues would agree on this Uh, we hear almost from every breakaway that we support once they're up and running they say i should have done it sooner talking about Mm -hmm. the smiling uh, they say we're having fun again within the industry so i would say talk to your peers i'm still amazed if i'm out speaking at a conference back when we could travel and go do that People come up to me in the evening at the bar and they say, hey, look, I wish I had met you earlier and maybe they've sold to a roll up, whatever it might be. And I say, who else did you talk to? Uh, And they say, I just 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 that firm. And it surprises me that it's a little bit of the cowboy shoes, right? If if you're an advisor and you had a client that was going to go sell a business, you know, you would say talk to multiple investment bankers, run a process, get educated. Well, then why don't we do it ourselves when we're looking to move and transition our most important asset to ourselves. So I would say talk to a consultant and an industry leader like yourself, uh, Mindy, you know, go talk to multiple firms in the space, meet with the custodians, but most importantly, talk to your peers that have done it so that you can really hear 
peer-to-peer about all the, the good, the bad, the ugly, and really make a, an informed, educated decision. Thank you. Jim, how about you? I would say don't settle. You know, it's pretty awesome to me to see our partner firms once they get the freedom and they build their brand and they can actually market and grow how much fun they're having and how much joy they're having. And similar to what, what Sheryl said, they look back and say, I don't know why I didn't do this sooner. So I, I think, you know, you have to add, you look in the mirror and you have to ask yourself, you know, am I happy? Am I enjoying what I'm doing? Um, am I the best I can be? And if any of the answer to any of those is no, then I think you have the responsibility to reach out to someone like yourself and your team and say, okay, what's out there and why not? And, you know, what we found is that the great entrepreneurs respond to that and wow, are they growing and they're growing fast. And so I think you've got to ask yourself that question. And, and if the answer is, I'm not sure, then do a little due diligence as Sheryl suggested. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Rich. My advice would be, Mindy, I've stood at the edge of a cliff and I've, I've thought about jumping off of it and I've gotten scared and, and then I, I didn't know if the water was, how deep the water was and I didn't know exactly what was going to happen and, and I've jumped and, and, and all of a sudden it's exhilarating. And I think your body and your mind can actually make things much scarier than they actually are in practice and in principle. And I think if you listen to your inner doubt and you listen to say, but it's okay here, but it isn't that bad, but it isn't, and you come to rationalize where you're at versus... I think the best teams who actually thrive in independence figure out what they want to be five years from now and they write it down, right? I was with a team of seven and they wrote down exactly where they wanted to be in seven years and what were the things that were important with them, important for them as a team. And I think that clarity and singularity of vision to say, okay, now, and I think I would agree with both of my colleagues here. And then once you know what you want to become, go do some due diligence. I think one of the things we see, and, and we're the firm that most, I call it second trade independence. So when folks trade out to an independent firm and they recognize that they compromise seven ways from Sunday and you ask them, well, why the heck did you end up at that firm? And they say, well, it's just, I knew somebody there. It was the first place that I had. And we say, that's why we talk about uncompromised independence. That's why we talk about the support models. And I think it doesn't take a lot of work to actually sit down and be thoughtful about what you want your business to become and what's important to you and how you want to serve your clients. And if you do that, you can go through an evaluative process that isn't really onerous and will allow you to make the best decision. I think it's important to get information, to gain intelligence and insight. And I will reiterate, I think a river guide is really important. It's a big decision. You're headed down this river. You don't know where the sandbars are. You may not know where the rocks are that are right underneath the surface. And I think having a river guide through this process is terribly important. All right, lightning round. Question for each of you. What are you most excited about going forward, whether it be about the industry as a whole or your firm specifically? That was a pregnant pause. So listen, I come to work every day and I'm fed. And the reason I'm fed is because we put advisors at the center of everything we do. And so for me, our firm continues to evolve, but it evolves in one way. And that way is to support advisors running the best practices. And so for me, I'm excited that we continue to build capabilities and enhance those capabilities, not only for advisors to be independent, but to thrive in independence. Because there's a big difference between becoming independent and thriving through having the support support and practice support that you need not only to be unencumbered and so, hey, there's a bunch of things I don't want to do. So can I have help in doing those things for me? Um, and 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 so the most exciting thing, literally, I, I've been not quite two years here at LPL, is when I talk to our clients, they are energized. 
they're excited. They feel empowered. And so every day when I come to work, by extension, I get energized, excited, and empowered. And I try to figure out how we can spend more time making it easier and better for them. So I think every day in this independent world, it really is the de facto. We think it's the dominant solution. We think that moving into independence is dominant because the value is actually delivered to the folks who take the risk and deliver the content and the value to their end clients. The avoidance of this intermediary, I think, is really important. And so it's great to see us. I think we get to look at 17,000 small business owners who are thriving every day and growing every day. And I think it's great to see people because our clients get to live out their life dreams. And by extension, I think they help 4 million Americans live out their life dreams. Thank you. Sure. Thank you, Mindy. You know, I, I too am very excited and bullish about our industry. I think it's at a time uh, in our, our nation's history where maybe our industry is more important than ever. When you look at uh, you know, financial health in this country, uh, it's, it's not great. Uh, whether, you, whether you're talking about the individual level, uh, state level, uh, federal level, pensions, endowments, et cetera, there's a lot of challenges. And I think one of the best ways that we can move forward is through the purity of independent financial advice. And I'm thrilled that the independent space is growing at the rate uh, that it is. And I think we all need to do more as an industry to attract more and diverse people into the industry, not just for the benefit of our industry, but also for the benefit of our country. So I'm, I'm most excited about where our industry is, is going, the opportunity set, the impact that I think it's going to continue to have on our country. And we do fundamentally believe, and it, it, it's you know, one of the greatest professions, you know, being a financial advisor, servicing financial advisors like we do, because we get to live our American dream by empowering others to live theirs. And what better profession could you have in that regard? Thank you. Jim? I think I'm most excited about building a community and a culture that allows advisors to help each other. I think one of the things that's unique is at Sanctuary, in the warehouse environment, if somebody did something, they never shared it. And in our environment, everybody shares. And so what you see is this crescendo of one team sharing with another, and they're just getting better and better, and they're growing faster and faster. And to me, that's a really cool culture, and it really is good for our entire industry, right? Because we each get getting better, and we each share that. I think that's what allows us to really take the position that independence deserves, which is at the top of the the pecking order. And so at Sanctuary, that's what we think about is our community and independent, but not alone, right? How do we, how do we help each other grow faster? And when you see that and you sit back, you're like, wow, this is special. And I think that's a lot of fun. Thank you. Gentlemen, I can't thank you enough. This was delightful. I could have gone on all day, but I won't take up any more of your time. I thank you, Rich, Cheryl, Jim. It was a pleasure. You are all doing amazing work. You are visionaries and rock stars and thought leaders. And I'm honored to be your friends and your partner and can't wait to continue the conversation. Thanks, Thanks, Mindy. Mindy. Pleasure. No doubt, this conversation really demonstrated how the independent landscape has evolved. Each of my three guests shared powerful advice, as well as a clear picture on how advisors' needs have changed and the growth of the models reflect that. I thank you for joining us for this special episode, and I encourage you to visit our website, diamond-consultants.com, and click on the tools and resources link for valuable content. You'll also find a link to subscribe for regular updates to the series. 
And if you're not a recipient of our weekly email, Perspectives for Advisors, click on the blog link to browse recent articles. These written pieces are an ideal way to stay informed about what's going on in the wealth management space without expending the energy that full-on exploration would require. Feel free to email or call me if you have specific questions. I can be reached at 908-879-1002 or by cell, especially these days, at 973-476-8578 or by email mdiamond at diamond-consultants.com. Please note that all requests are handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. And again, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with a colleague who might benefit from its content. And a special thanks to AdvisorHub.com for sharing this podcast with their viewers and subscribers. This is Mindy Diamond on Independence. Independence.